title of my message this morning is A Spiritual Journey. A Spiritual Journey, Our Life's Calling. A journey. When you look at the word journey, it can either be a noun or a verb. When you look at the word as a noun, it's the act of traveling from one place to another. I am going on a journey. When you look at it as a verb, it means to go on that journey, to travel over or through something. You and I are on a journey if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The moment that you put, admitted that you had personal sin, the moment you admitted that you were a sinner, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your spiritual journey as a follower of Christ began. You had an encounter with the living God. You connected, reconnected with God, with Jesus, His Son. The moment. So if you've had that moment, you're on a spiritual journey whether you know it or not. And hopefully, you know it. Because there needs to be an intentionality to our journey. The blood of Christ removes our sin. It's dealt with when we accept Jesus Christ and we start on that journey. And the power, the resurrection power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit comes and breathes life into what was our dead spirit and we are born again. Our spirit is born again unto eternal life. That is so amazing to me. What was dead and condemned is now alive and set free by spirit. The journey. So that initial stage of the journey is complete. It's complete. All we had to do to get started on that journey was cooperate with the Holy Spirit. God drew us. God wooed us. God is the one that changes our heart. God is the one that breathes life into us. So that initial stage, but the journey is far from over. It's far from over. We're on a journey, but it's far from over. From that point on, until we die or until Jesus comes back, our life's call is to become more like Christ. That's the journey. A journey to Christ-likeness. A journey that leads to the abundant life in Christ. There is a little problem along the way. We have an enemy. We have a spiritual enemy who does not want us to progress along that journey. You know, once, once we get saved, once that initial stage is accomplished by God, we no longer belong to the devil. He no longer has any authority in our life unless we give it to him. And he's going to resist this every step of the way along that journey to Christ-likeness. You can count on it. And sadly, if we're not really aware of what's going on, our, our flesh, that old fleshly nature, will cooperate. So we need to crucify the flesh and go on. Our, our mission statement here at Victory Christian Church comes from John 10.10. It addresses the enemy... And it addresses what God accomplished through Christ. In John 10.10 it says, The thief, Satan, came to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's his life mission. But it says, I came, Jesus came, that I might give you life and give it to you abundantly. The abundant life in Christ. At Victory, our our church mission is to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. 
You could rephrase that to say, we exist as a church to help people along that journey to Christ-likeness. That's the abundant life. Living like Christ. Representing Christ to the world. It's an ongoing journey. None of you have arrived if you're still breathing. You haven't got there yet. None of us have. And we won't. The journey won't be over till we die and go to be with Him or He comes back and gets us. One or the other. It's the abundant life. As Christians, as Christians, as parents, and as a church body, we are called to do all that we can do to move along that journey towards Christ-likeness and to assist others on their journey. This being a Christian isn't an isolated thing. It's not a one-man show. We need each other. We need each other. So we need to be doing all that we can as Christians, as parents, as moms and dads, and also as the church to help people get to that journey's conclusion, move along that path. It's a challenging assignment to become like Christ. And hear me up front. I'm going to be talking a lot about our personal responsibility, but none of it can happen without the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's the given. That's the underlying truth. The initial stage of the journey is accomplished by God. There was nothing we could do in our own strength to get saved. Nothing. It's not a works thing. And there is nothing we can do to change our life without the power of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? God has a clear uh, calling for us to have a personal responsibility in this process. This assignment requires some things. One, it requires us growing in our understanding and what it means to be a Christian. The grow. When we talk about our our mission statement and the process along there, we, we use three words. Connect, grow, and serve. We want to connect. We have that personal power with Christ. We are reconnected with God because of what Christ did. We want to connect with the body of Christ, develop relationships. And then we want to grow. And when the part of that growing is an understanding, what's it mean to be a Christian? What's it look like? The second thing that we need to do is develop and expand our personal knowledge of biblical truth. We really need to learn what this book says. We need to learn and the Holy Spirit will teach you. You know, I, 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 get, I used to say this and I hear it all the time and I kind of get really tired of it because I know it's just a lie of the devil. I can't understand it. It's too complicated. Or even worse, it's boring. Now I'll admit to you right up front, I have dry times in the Word. But to call this a boring book, it's the Word of the living God, that's kind of a foolish thing to say, really. If it's boring, it's not because of what God wrote through these men. It's because of where I'm at in my own life. And I need to do everything I can to get out of that dry stage. I need to really press in intentionally to do this. So we need to grow in our understanding of what it means to be a Christian. We need to expand our personal knowledge of biblical truth. And then we need to apply daily to our lives what we learn. Serve. Connect, grow, and serve. It's called discipleship. To serve, applying it to our lives. You may not think of being just obedient to the Word of God as serving, but it is. You're serving the Lord out of obedience. 
And some of the things that we do and are called to do in the area of service look like really big things. But most of the time, they look like real little things. But those real little things are really a big deal to God. They're important. They build one on the other. It's through the presence and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that dwells in each one of us as believers that God enables us to know Him, to obey Him, and to serve Him. And even as I say those words, especially that word obey, some of us can slip into a religious mindset and, and, and shift to that gear where i got to please God or He won't love me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. What changes in the life of a believer is we are not doing this under duty or obligation somehow or other to earn His love or earn His pleasure or earn His approval. We're doing it out of a love relationship with the man, the God-man who saved us. It's a love issue. So please, whatever you do, if you start hearing me talk about something that sounds like works, rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. It's a lie. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit moving in us to, to impress God. You know, a lot of us live our lives trying to earn the favor of God. Because in our natural lives, we've, we've discovered that we had to impress people so that they would like us or love us. Get this truth in your head. There is not one thing that you can do to make God love you more. It's impossible. And the really good news is there's not one thing you can do to make Him love you less. Not one thing. His character, His nature is love. And once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are part of His family. You're His child. Okay, I want to get all that out there because I want us to understand I'm going to be focusing on our personal responsibility a lot of my message. But I want us to understand it's not about works to earn His favor. It's about doing what we're supposed to do. I want to read a few scriptures. And as He is empowering us and and working in us, we need to understand that God is the one that does the revealing. God is the one who does the renewing. God is the one that does the empowering. And God is the one who does the recreating. When you think about those words, He reveals Himself to us. We could go on a natural quest, but in our natural mind, our natural way of thinking, we'll never find Him. It says, renew your mind by the washing of the Word of God. Well, He's the one that's got to renew my mind. My job is to read the Word. To do the empowering, to do the recreating. We're new creatures in Christ because He makes us that. And we need to do our part. And that's really simply to yield to Him, yield to the Holy Spirit, submit to His leading, and obey what we know to obey. Listen to the... I'm going to just read a couple of scriptures. In Philippians 4.9, Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Notice our responsibility. 2 Peter 1, 5-8 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly love, and to brotherly love, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing, increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, do the work, increase. We want to be effective for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We want to be able to say that we have done all that we can do to increase the kingdom. Not out of duty, but out of love. It's out of love. And the last one I want to read is in James 1, verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, looking into the book that gives freedom, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So to me, it's just really clear. Nothing happens without God doing what he's already done and he continues to do. But the relationship is such between us as humans and God is that he says, you know what, you have some personal responsibility. It's part of the free will that he gave us. And we need to do our part. Our continual transformation, this journey, can't take place without God doing his thing, but we have to do our thing. We have to take care of it. As I said earlier, our role is often just referred to as discipleship. I want to read a definition of discipleship to you. The lifelong journey of obedience to Christ that transforms a person's values and behavior and results in ministry in one's home, church, and in the world. This is the process. God wants to accomplish something through us. He's chosen to work through us. He is giving us the opportunity. It's part of the blessing. It's actually part of the abundant life in Christ to get to serve and to carry out using the gifts, using the callings, using the talents that he's given to us to carry out this mission. It brings a blessing to us. It does something in our spirit. It does something in our soul as we get to move along on this journey. Christ intends for each one of his disciples, and these are scriptures. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Talked about that some a couple weeks ago. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. It's a choice, an act of our will. He expects in this fellowship, now before you say that's not a word, he spelled it wrong. That was intentional. In that fellowship, there's a, an assumption of obedience. We cannot say that we are followers of Christ if we always do what he tells us not to do. We're not a follower of Christ. Now, I understand we all make mistakes and we, we mess up. It's called sin. But if our heart is right, we will confess that as soon as the Holy Spirit convicts us and we'll go on. But when we are intentionally choosing sin... We are not followers of Christ. Your salvation is secure if you're truly saved. But in a truly saved person, there should be this desire to be moving along on this journey to Christ-likeness, to the abundant life that's available in Christ. And Christ commissions all of us as his disciples. We sometimes just categorize those guys in the Bible as the disciples. You and I, if you're saved, you are a disciple of Christ. You are called to be a follower of Christ. You're called to be His representative on earth. And we're called to reproduce ourselves. You know, it's great to get saved. It's awesome to be a Christian. It's awesome to hear God and to know God and see Him moving in your life. But it's not about you. We are to be reproducing. Sharing. And that word reproduction 
is, so, is a key word to what we have been hearing as elders in our times of prayer and prophetically through brothers who have ministered to us. Victory Christian Church, it's time to reproduce disciples. It's time for multiplication to occur at a greater and greater level. What does that mean? Why? Because the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Ever heard that statement before? It's true. It's true. But there is going to be a great harvest of souls. And we are called to be those laborers in the kingdom. And in the discipleship and training others is the way we increase and multiply. And we believe God has a calling on this church and His church in general. But we really believe, as we've been praying and seeking God, we believe God's doing something in southwest Minnesota. And we believe, believe it or not, this little church is going to be a significant part of what He does. Now you might say, really? Boy, you have a high opinion of your church. Yes, I do. I do have a high opinion about this church. Because I believe this is a church that wants to glorify God, wants to see people saved, wants to see people delivered and set free of the bondage of Satan. We really mean it when we say we exist to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. That's why we're here. Anything else is selfish. And we want to be helping people along their journey to Christ-likeness. You know, as elders and our wives, we met in May for a retreat. Now, a lot of time when you hear the word retreat, you might think, wow, you guys just went out and had fun. Yes, we did. But our fun consisted of prayer, times of worship, fellowship, visiting, eating great food, and just seeking the Lord. That's why we went. We feel that it's just a critical time, one of those times in the life of the church where God's saying, seek my will and be ready to make whatever changes in direction that he wants to make. And we really felt like the Lord showed us some things. The problem is, if you think like I do, I want to see the whole plan before I take the first step. Uh, I I always get in the way. God doesn't generally do that. So we know that as we're going to make some changes and some adjustments and try some new things, um, we're going to make some mistakes along the way. Things will be fine-tuned, and that's, that's okay. As long as we're moving where we believe God wants us to go. Now, how many of you love and embrace change? Yeah, there's a few of you weirdos that do, and that's awesome. You drive me crazy. But it's awesome. Most of us, by nature, the old nature, by the way, don't like change. Listen to this quote, and I wish it was mine, but it's not. If you don't like change, you're going to really not like being irrelevant. Think about that for a second. If you don't like change, you're not going to like being irrelevant. Because if we don't change as a church and the way we do things, we will become irrelevant to the culture around us. You know, I don't have the numbers and statistics. I wasn't going to talk about this, but if you were at the, the Max Promise Banquet, Josh McDowell was there and spoke. And he shared a lot of statistics and a lot of information about what's taking place in our culture and with our youth. You know, they used to say if a, if a teenager isn't saved by age 17 or 18, the chances, the percentages just go almost to nothing. Now the statistics say if it's not by eight, nine years old, 
chances are they're not going to ever get saved. Eight or nine years old. Man, we have to really make sure our focus is right. Then there's this group. How many of you are under 40? Go ahead and raise your hands. Everybody look around. Especially those of you that aren't under 40. You can celebrate those of you that are under 40. Some of you liars, put your hands down. Unless you're prematurely gray, I'm not buying this. Well, pretty much they call this group the under 40s, the millennials. And I'm a baby boomer. And the condition of our country is pretty much our fault, the baby boomers. We've been driving the culture for the last 40, 50 years. And we're dying off and retiring and getting old. Er. <laughs> getting old. Er. Much more mature, much wiser. But in that maturity and wisdom, if we don't understand the millennials are going to be running this country for the next 50 years, and we don't change, we're going to become irrelevant. Look how many 40-somethings and less we had in this church. Quite frankly, most churches in the area would do anything to try to figure out how that happened. The millennials don't go to church. I shared some of this a couple of weeks ago, so if you were here, forgive me, but I'm going to repeat it because it's so important that we understand A poll was done amongst the millennials, the under 40-year-olds. And they had them define regular church attendance so they could ask them the next questions. Regular church attendance by the millennials was defined as if you go to church six or seven times a year. Now, to a baby boomer, we go, are you serious? You're a backsliding pagan. (laughs) That's how we think. Then they said by... By that definition, your own definition, how many of you are regular church attendees? And there are now approximately 85 to 88 million millennials in the United States. And 7.5% said they're regular church attendees by the definition they try to attend six or seven times a year. They don't go to church. So then they defined regular church attendance as those who try to go to church once a week. And the percentage that said yes was less than 1%. Think about that. That's where our culture is headed. That's where it is. Where it's headed from here, lest the church rises up and becomes relevant to that generation, we're going to lose them. And we're going to lose the whole generation and we're going to lose our culture and our country. And we can only make a difference where we're planted. And we are planted here in southwest Minnesota. And we send people out around the world. If you were here last week, you heard about our Rwanda trip and you heard about our trip to Thailand. A little church can make a difference in a lot of places when they really want to increase the kingdom. And our goal is to do everything we can to train up our young people Become relevant, not change the message. We will not change the message of sin and salvation by grace through faith. And we will not change that. But we've got to come up with methods to reach the culture. Most of you baby boomers that are my age or somewhere plus or minus a few years, we remember when that older generation didn't like all the things we wanted to bring into the, into the program. I mean, if we go back 35, 40 years... The music that we were just playing up here wasn't all that popular in the church. But our generation 
wanted it to be contemporary, something that meant something that we could embrace, something that we could we could enter into. The message of the words are powerful. It's just different. The music. And I got to be the first to tell you, I hate some of the music that's out there called Christian music. And most of the time it's because I'm listening to it through 60-year-old ears. And my culture. But I would put aside my preferences. And I hope... Hmm. I hope every baby boomer here would put aside their preferences to see the millennials get saved and come to church and hear the word and to worship God. Because if we aren't, we are so selfish. We are so selfish. It is not about my comfort and my preferences. It's about reaching a generation that is lost and thinks the church is irrelevant. You've got nothing for me. You know, the the millennial generation is often by church people thought of as being very selfish. They are one of the most generous generations ever with their finances. They just don't give it to a church because we're irrelevant. They want to know what we're doing and why we're doing it, and they want to be measured. They want to see results. They don't want to just hear words that sound flowery. They want to know, is it going to work? And when they get passionate about something, they go all in. They go all in. And they will, they've spent and invested and given almost $10 billion to save the cats and dogs in the last six years. Think about that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with trying to save the cats and dogs, but seriously? What about people? What about people who are going to hell? What about unborn babies that are getting aborted? What about all these things that God has laid out and He says, you do these things, I'll bless this nation. And we are called to be His voice. And part of what we have to do is train up and disciple. So we feel like the Lord has given us a few things that we're going to change and a few things that we're going to try different. And I'm just going to give a couple of those things. And for visitors, at the very least, you'll hear a little bit about who we are as a church. I want to start with our Sunday morning gatherings starting this fall. Our children's ministry, in Proverbs 22.6, it says this, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. We need to be intentional in training up our children. The youth of today do not have a biblical worldview. We can criticize them all we want, but it's our job to teach them a biblical worldview. And the church hasn't done a very good job. A lot of what we see out there and we might think of as sin, they don't even know it's wrong. They can't hardly understand where I'm coming from when I say marriage is between a man and a woman. All they hear me saying is, I'm going to tell you who you can and cannot love, and I'm an intolerant bigot. That's how they think. Because it hasn't been taught. It hasn't been laid the foundation of biblical truths. We have got to do everything we can. When Josh McDowell shared all those statistics about what needs to be deposited in a kid before they're eight, nine years old, it kind of shook us up a little bit. So a couple of things we're going to do differently. And you're going to think when I tell you the first thing, it's like a step backwards. But on Sunday mornings in the fall, there will not be Sunday school for our children. Amen? (laughs) Amen? What are we thinking? 
We are going to focus our efforts on Children's Church. We're going to call it something other than Children's Church. For now, we're just calling it the Kids Academy. Our Children's Church, we're going to expand it. It's going to have more than two classes. It's going to have at least three classes. And all of the things that they're going to be taught in, in this, this age group, and we're going to go from, I believe it's age three through the fourth grade, going to Children's Church. And everything that they're going to be taught there is going to be integrated with what's going to happen on Wednesday nights. So for your children to get everything that we believe is critical for them to develop a worldview that's going to cause them to not only survive but to be leaders in these next generations, your kids need to be in children's church and they need to be in Wednesday night ministries because that's where we're going to be teaching them. The adult Bible study class will continue, but there will not be a nursery. And we realize that's going to be hard for a few of the adults that might want to come to the adult Bible study. But we're going to focus our energies and our efforts, our volunteer hours, our teachers, on children's church. It's critical that they attend and be a part of that. And the fifth grade, fifth grade on up will stay in here for the messages, the sermons. You know, by the time, <clears throat> it might not be the first year or two, but we really believe by the time those fifth graders and sixth graders have come through our children's church and what I'm going to talk about on Wednesday nights, they're going to be the ones showing you and I how to worship and what it really means to worship God. They're going to be the ones laying hands on people and expecting miracles. They're the ones that are going to be functioning in their gifts and callings because it's the same Holy Spirit that does these things in all of us. So our children's church is going to become <clears throat> the Kids Academy on Sunday mornings. Wednesday evenings... We're going to call it, for now, the Youth Academy. The Youth Academy will be for ages 5 through senior high. <clears throat> it will go from 6.30 to 8 like it currently does. And again, I, I can't stress the importance of having your children here. We're going to do everything as a church, as the leadership of the church. You know, your generosity as a group of people has allowed us to, to hire Pastor Casey on a full-time basis to develop these programs, to coordinate them, put the curriculums together. And we're, it's all going to fit together. And we're going to make sure that the things that we believe are critical for your kids, are going to be accomplished on that Sunday morning a Kids Academy and Wednesday night Youth Academy. And if you want them to get what we think is important and we hope you believe it's important, they really need to be there. We're going to have a K-3 through group. Then Darren and Gloria Johnson are going to continue to work with that ministry. And as it goes through third grade, that's approximately eight years old. Obviously, in all of these classes, we're going to be teaching Bible. Foundational Bible, Bible stories, etc., etc. But there also is going to be a real emphasis on what it means to get saved. We don't want anybody coming out of that first group that hasn't made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. As an eight-year-old, they understand and can understand. And we expect them also to be getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, that their gifts are empowered, that they are going to be practicing even at that young age to minister one to another. Fourth through sixth grade, Ben and Leah are, are stepping up there. They're going to be going beyond. We expect them to be able to articulate the message of salvation and lead somebody to Christ. If you come to the baptismal service, you're going to hear one of the young girls that's going to get baptized share how she got saved. It was because when she was in kindergarten, a fellow kindergartner came to, came to school crying because he, he felt the Lord showed him that there wasn't, all of their classmates weren't saved. And led her to the Lord. It can happen. It's supposed to happen. It has to happen. 
And we, we are going to do everything we can. In the 7th through 12th grade, Chris and Casey are going to step up, and Ethan and Jaron are coming alongside them. And Yeah, wow. It's going to be great. But they're going to focus also on applying their spiritual gifts, getting out, doing the stuff, doing the ministry, focusing on evangelism, focusing on serving, focusing on missions, focusing on these things, even as they're learning more and more Bible and getting that foundation laid. There will be child care here at the church on Wednesday nights for the infants up to age four. And that's important because of what I'm going to share next. Wednesday night isn't just for kids and youth. We were going to be starting the Abundant Life Academy. And we are blessed because we have the people who control Ralco in our church. They own the thing. And they are willing to let us use rooms in the Ralco Technology Center on Wednesday nights for the Adult Academy. And what we're going to be doing, we're going to have four different rooms up there they're going to allow us to use. Wednesday night should become a family training and equipping night. And if your kids aren't in the youth academy, come anyway. If you're still breathing, you're still on your journey. You're not Christ-like yet. And we're going to offer four different classes at a time. You're going to have to sign up for them. There will be a limited space depending on room size. And they're going to go from anywhere from four to six weeks. And then at the end of six weeks, there will be a one-week break. You'll roll in the next group of classes. And we're setting them up that they're going to follow our school's calendars. So everything will be in place. An opportunity to train, to learn, to develop your leadership abilities, to get deeper into the Word. Practical things on parenting, uh, marriage, Matter of fact, the first classes may be called something different than this, but the first series of classes are going to call Victory 101, who we are, what we believe, how our church functions, um, developing a family charter. If you've not heard about that, um, you will be blessed, especially if you're young and raising a family. But in any grandparent in here, we can make an impact on our grandchildren. What's our family charter? What do you believe? What are your goals? You'll be developing a family charter. Biblical financial stewardship. Something like the Dave Ramsey course. Finances. We are to be finance, or stewards of what God has blessed us with. And the fourth one, avoiding cultural snares. And that's a, really a broad one by intention. There are so many things that are cultural snares out there from the cults, the false teachings, to the addictions. You name it, they're out there. And there will be a focus on different things in that course. So we believe that there should be enough choices that everybody can be enrolled in something. And this will be going on Wednesday nights. So it'll start at 6.40. So you have 10 minutes to drop your kids off and get up to the school. And then we'll stop at 7.50. So you've got 10 minutes to get back here and pick up your kids if you have them. And there will be a nursery here on site at the church. So we believe that if we can start implementing these programs, there's going to be a biblical foundation laid that's going to help us on our journey to Christ-likeness. I'm going to read a scripture in 2 Timothy. It says this, In fact, <clears throat> everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, <clears throat> while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Thank you. 
How do you know if you're, there's an imposter who's trying to deceive you if you don't know the truth? There's a reason the cults are growing so rapidly. False religions are growing so rapidly. People don't know the truth. They're looking for something, and so if it sounds good, they buy into it, whether it's true or not, and leads them into greater bondage. And sadly, oftentimes, they're worshiping a different Jesus, and they're not going to go to heaven. I'll stop reading the rest of that scripture. But as for you, continue what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it. He's writing this to Timothy, but it applies to us. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that attending these classes and, and being part of what's taking place Eventually, a lot of you will be teaching these classes. And that's part of our goal. We all need to learn how to equip other people. We're going to be helping people along that journey to Christ-likeness, which is what we would consider part of our mission as a church, to discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. There'll be opportunities to invite people to classes like you know, developing a family charter, parenting skills, there will be classes where you can use them as entry levels for friends that may not come to church on Sunday morning, but they might come to something when they're having troubles raising their children. Marriage, handling conflict resolution and communication. They'll come. They're looking for help. So in all of these opportunities that I mentioned, it's kind of more of an uh, inward focus, but really our focus is ultimately outward. We want to equip ourselves so that we influence the world. We need to be salt and light in the world. We're commissioned to be salt and light in the world. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So a lot of what I've talked about really fits into our connecting and growing more so than our serving. And I want to focus on one thing that we're going to start, and we're going to start this next Sunday. We're going to start something that, in the area of serving that probably hadn't thought about before. Sometimes things we do are little things. Sometimes they seem like big things. But the little things that point to Jesus are a big deal. And we're going to start something called Victory Junction. Cup of coffee. Drink coffee. Do good. Before I talk a little bit about it, I've got a couple short videos that I think will explain it better than I can explain it. I want to turn the stage lights down, please. I was in the squad that killed this woman's husband. After the war, I came back for forgiveness. But I was afraid she wouldn't forgive me. God has given me a heart of forgiveness. Only forgiveness can win. We now all work in the gardens together, the murderers and the victims. If there is a problem, those who killed us, 
are now the ones who help us. This is the man who killed my family, but he is now a partner. When I work with him in the coffee garden, we share ideas. We are both a part of the same vision. Coffee has greatly helped with the reconciliation process. She has forgiven me. Now we can share anything because we are partners. Now, even with everything that has happened, my children and her children can play together without fear. Because when we work together in our coffee co-op, we all feel free with each other. Forgiveness wins. Engaging redemption. Sometimes I'll receive a letter or an email that says, John, what are you doing with the farmers in the Drink coffee, do good. I like that. So if you haven't ever drank coffee, it's time to start. <laughs> and those of you who are cleansing yourselves now, get over it and get back to the coffee. <laughs> Seriously, Thousand Hills Coffee Company is a fair trade company. You can, if you listen to other videos and go online, you'll see videos, videos of farmers talking about they're getting paid twice as much money for their coffee as they used to. Now their kids are being able to be sent to schools. Redemption, reconciliation has been a part of the ministry. And they do do the other things. Clothing, help get fresh water, something as simple as a bicycle. And as a fair trade company, you know, they, they, they represent trying to give people respect and dignity as they pay them, pay them a wage. And it's just a great, great thing that we just had that team in Rwanda. Um, I can attest to the fact that the coffee's good. I cheated and opened a package. Next week, um, you'll have the opportunity to start buying your coffee instead of drinking it free. Amen? Something we do every day. Most of us, many of us, drink coffee. Every cup of coffee that you're going to purchase here at this church is going to be coffee that's been purchased from the land of a thousand hills. And that's what they refer to Rwanda as, the land of a thousand hills. Uh, right now we're going to be purchasing all our coffee through them. And every time we purchase our coffee from them, money is going into the ministry of Drink Coffee, Do Good. And, and as you are purchasing the coffee, also we are going to be saving any profits that we can accumulate from your donations to our missions fund so that we continue, can continue to help scholarship and send out mission teams, whether it's nationally, uh, transnationally, or around the globe. So as it said, every time you buy a cup of coffee here, you're supporting missions. You're making a difference instead of just drinking a cup of coffee. Now, I know that'll be hard for some of us to adjust to, to having to uh, pay money for coffee, unless you've been anywhere else on the earth and had to get coffee. Besides church, you're kind of used to paying for it, right? So, 
Uh, Jay and Kelly Fricke are going to be overseeing that uh, ministry and getting that thing started next week. So if you want to come about a half hour, 45 minutes early, and then after the service for about a half hour, they'll be setting up a, a victory junction. And the junction thing, where we come together and join to fellowship. You bring guests or there's visitors that want to come and have a cup of coffee and just give us a chance to visit with them. But it's also a place where we are connecting, joining, a point of junction between us and people in Rwanda, and people in Haiti every time we drink a cup of coffee. So that's going to be started right away. I hope that you are catching a little bit of our excitement as a leadership as we go forward. We really think that, that it's an important and critical time in the life of the church. Some of the changes, as I said earlier, there's going to be bumps in the road. We understand that. And no matter when you do something different, you can always weigh the pros and the cons. And, and believe me, we've been doing that too. But we really believe that we're headed in a direction that the Lord is revealing to us. And there's more to come. There's more things to come. But the, the most important thing is that we come together in unity. If you believe this is a vision worth having, you need to jump in and be part of that vision to make it happen. It can't happen with just a few people in leadership or a few volunteers trying to pull the train, pull the engine. It can't happen. We need everybody. If we believe what the Bible says, the Bible tells us that there are many parts to the body and every part of the body is critical. <laughs> I don't mean to embarrass you, Laura, but it just fits my analogy. Laura came last night and her big toe was causing a problem. Her big toe still is? A little bit. Good, we prayed for it. It better be better. Her big toe... How many of you have been thinking about your big toe this morning? Not many of us, right? When it starts swelling up and hurting, it ruins everything. It ruins the way you move. It ruins the way you get around. Your focus, your conscience. And that's the way it is with the church. We need every single one of you, your gifts, your talents, and your abilities. Because the Bible says when we all come together and the body functions we will be way more effective in building the kingdom. And when there's a piece or two missing, we can still go forward, but we don't want to walk with a limp. We want to go forward as a group, as a team, as a body of Christ. Helping people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ along the way. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I do thank you and praise you for your concern your love, your compassion, your mercy, your grace, and I could go on and on. And I also thank you, Lord, that you've given gifts to the body of Christ, to each one, that we might use them to build up and edify the body of Christ, but also to reach out, to see the body of Christ increased, to see your kingdom advanced here on earth. Lord, I pray that as we go forward, that, that we will embrace the vision that you've given us, God, that we will begin to see fruit quickly from the vision that you've given us. And God, that we would start to see in a greater and way, greater way the impact that you are making in our communities, in southwest Minnesota, in the life of our young people, the children, the students, and in our own lives as adults. God, we know and acknowledge again before you that we can't do anything of value or worth in our own strength lest you build the church, lest you are moving in our efforts, we labor in vain. So we just cry out to you and surrender all of this to you for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.